It's the Morgan Evans More or Less Pickleball podcast coming at you in three, two, one, boom. My guest today is Pickleball's newest villain. Jill Braverman hasn't played a whole lot of tournaments, but after five years in Silicon Valley, the 31-year-old Newport native has set social media ablaze with a little controversy during her gold medal performance in the recent APP Tours SoCal Classic. She's a businesswoman trying to get it done and change the game. So please welcome Jill Braverman. Jill Braverman, how are you, young lady? Hi, Morgan. Hi there. You don't need the video. In fact, it usually ruins the audio. Oh, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> For those of you who can't see an audio wave, she was holding up her gold medal. And that is one of two reasons why congratulations are in order. Jill Braverman, you just got married and you won your first singles title. Congratulations, which feels like a better achievement. Oh, oh, thank you, Morgan. I'm going to go with the wedding because my wife is in the other room and can hear me. Oh, smart girl. Yes. Okay. So first and foremost, let's talk about the win. You haven't played in a singles tournament for quite some time, and yet you somehow mustered out the gold. What was it like? Rusty. (laughs) Actually went into my match against Lauren, who's also my doubles partner, and said, this could be really quick, Lauren. I have not, uh, I can't remember how to play singles. And I guess somehow uh, it came back to me. And then uh, in the very first match with Corinne Carr, we laughed so hard walking on the court because we were both still traumatized from our last meeting, which was about a 35-minute backdraw match that I think went 17-15 or 18-16 at the Newport tournament over a year ago in, uh, in her favor that time. So I guess, how did it feel? It felt, uh, it felt a little rusty. <laughs> I do remember you uh, talking to me a day or two previous to the event, asking if it was like riding a bike. And I tried my best to assure you, it's very much like that. It's kind of you know, look-see-do pickleball really is is singles. And turns out that's exactly what it was. It's funny, Morgan. I actually equated it to not quite riding a bike, more like a unicycle. Oh, yes. All right. But I would assume if you've learned how to ride a unicycle, you don't really forget. Well, you know what? We should probably test that theory. I need you to go and buy a unicycle. Perfect. I'll bring it over on my Segway. Oh, yes. Yeah, that will look a little funny, but uh, we'll make it work. <laughs> Okay, now, the medal win was fantastic. You had a bunch of tough matches. However, it was not without a little bit of controversy. And just to give a little backstory to the listeners that may not be quite aware of what uh, we're referring to, at the recent SoCal Classic, you were in the final against young Vivian David at 3-1 in the second game. Your opponent had called a timeout and was late to get up after the timeout. The score had been called and you essentially served into an open court. Tell me a little bit about it from your perspective, your point of view, how did that go down and how do you feel about it now? Yeah, absolutely. And that was a good scene setting there. So thank you. And I definitely don't want the whole podcast to be, you know, my point of view and a defense of what I did. I do think there's broader discussions to be had, but, you know, simply put my point of view is Vivian was unfortunately out of sight, tucked behind the media booth, receiving coaching from her sister. I think some of the video makes it seem like, oh, she was like, she was right there. She was walking to the court. Jill saw her and quick served her to steal the point. But 
Unfortunately, because I think we all want a villain and want to have some drama, that's actually not what transpired. And like I said, uh, I think there's some broader discussions to be had here around topics that aren't really getting explored deeply enough, like how can such a ubiquitously hated rule exist? And what is the process for changing these, these rules? And where is the new player orientation that explains these often inexplicable and poorly understood uh, intricacies of pickleball? And finally, you know, why do people want a villain so badly? I think the video has over 35,000 views. I see what you're saying. What I think a lot of people, you know, don't quite understand is, firstly, they, they don't see the camera angle that has um, no Vivian in sight. But something similar to, to that had happened to you a week prior to that. What, uh, what happened? Yeah, thank you, Morgan. So the week prior at the APP LA Open, I was coming off of a timeout called by our opponents in women's doubles, and the ref had called time, and no one had heard her, and all four of us were walking back to our positions, and then the ref had called score, and no one had heard her. And my partner and I got to the line and were about to serve, but we were waiting a couple extra seconds for our opponents to, to also find their position. And then all of a sudden, boom, we lost our serve. Mm. Threw the ball back to the opponents. And what did they do? They served, you know, and the match continued on. So that was super fresh in my mind that you hear the score called, you've got to serve, you've got 10 seconds. And when you're competing much less for a gold medal, Time moves very differently, whether it's two seconds, three seconds, without a shot clock, it's hard. It's just hard. Yeah. No, no, I know what you mean. You, you don't want to get called for a time violation and lose the point. And it's tricky to know where the boundary is going to be. You know, do you yell at your opponent to quickly get on court so you can serve? Do you do what the letter of the law says and make sure you serve within the time or get penalized? You did mention, uh, and just so we're clear, for every person that um, has spoken to me about the situation and said, uh, it seemed a little dodgy. There was always someone else that said, she didn't have too much of a choice. You know, it didn't look like Vivian was going to get back up and into position to return a serve within that kind of 10 second line. At least it would have been very dicey. So I can kind of see both sides of the coin. Regarding the rule change, do you have an idea? Because I do have a bit of a theory. And honestly, it was offered to me by one of my friends, Greg Carter, who seems like a relatively intelligent bloke. Do you have an idea how that rule could get changed to avoid this kind of situation? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think if I were to name this, this podcast, it would be more questions than answers. <laughs> yeah, or maybe don't hate the player, hate the rule, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In all of the hoopla that has ensued post-Servgate, you know, we failed, I think, to unearth enough conversations around how can such a ubiquitously despised rule exist. And, you know, if there are, are rules that everyone agrees need to be changed, how does that happen? Especially if there are these certain rules that put both players and referees in these really lose-lose positions. Who's hearing that? Who's listening to the players? So I think, you know, I have more questions than answers on how these rules come to be, how they're changed. Uh, is that a democracy? Is the public or the players made aware? I'd be curious to hear your opinion. Well, firstly, I think it is called a picklocracy um, <laughs> because generally you just add pickle to the front of anything and that becomes pickleball related and everyone seems to be cool with that. However, I do have an idea. And as I mentioned, uh, it wasn't actually my idea, but I'm going to repeat it because I think it's good. What about this? What about when the ref calls the score 
if that 10 second mark comes up and the other person is not on the court, they lose the point. In fact, when the person calls the score, if the other person is not there, then it isn't the decision of the server whether to serve or not. It's just an announced point. What do you think? Yeah, or I think give more freedom and flexibility to the players to decide what penalty they want to grant to their opponent. And I feel like in tennis, it's funny because I, I feel like looking back at tennis, there weren't really that many rules. And it was a lot of like what was understood with the opponent, right? Do, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a deeper ecosystem of the kind of unwritten do's and don'ts. Is that what you mean? I think what I'm trying to say is it felt always like to me in tennis, a lot of it was between me and the opponent. And in pickleball, it feels like you're in a threesome with the ref. Like they're, they're really there. They're really present. They're in it. They're not a spectator. Mm. And maybe it's something where, okay, the 10 seconds passed, this person's in violation server. What do you want to do? Oh, okay. But then that leaves the door open for, I'll use the word loosely, villainous activity. If you put in a rule such as if the other person isn't on the court when the score is called, they have to be at least inside the boundaries of the court, then it's a point. Then you know no one can look at you and say, well, you know, she did this. That's not sportsmanlike. That's part of the rules. The other person needed to be on the court. Simple yep. as that. They didn't necessarily need to be in the perfect position to return serve, but they have to at least be on the court for the point to not be awarded to the server. That seems like a pretty simple solution to me. Yeah. Well, hopefully someone, uh, someone in the powers to be union might listen to this and consider it. There's always room for improvement. I did a, a, a nice podcast with Mr. Mark Pfeiffer, who is the head of the rules committee. And yeah, I think we'll hopefully get a Mac on and discuss the issue. Hey, to have friends in high places, Morgan. <laughs> exactly. We're going to hold it just briefly with Jill for a quick word from our sponsor, Coach Me Pickleball. Practice makes perfect, right? My name is Morgan Evans, and I have to tell you that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes progress. That's why we've created Coach Me Pickleball. At Coach Me Pickleball, you'll find an extensive and growing library of lessons on topics covering every aspect of pickleball for every level of player. For one small monthly fee, you'll get access to every video in our library with new content added every month. Check out coachmepickleball.com to sign up for a free seven-day membership. Okay, it's time. We've probably got to do a new promo video. Sorry, folks. Let's head back over to Jill. Okay, so one of the things you know you're coming into is a is a pickleball sport where there isn't just one tour. You know, in in tennis, the the gold standard is the WTA tour, obviously for uh, female players. We've got a couple of uh, a couple of tours at the moment, the APP and the PPA. Do you have any thoughts as to why this is going on? Do you have a favorite, or who's going to win this battle? Can they both exist? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it goes to this broader and to me more interesting conversation than if I'm a villain. It goes to what's going on? What's going on in pickleball? And it feels like to me, there's some inexplicable or poorly understood intricacies of the sport that would leave new players, pro or otherwise, kind of scratching their head. You know, whether it's questions like, why are there two tours? What are the differences? Which should I play in? To questions for pros like, how do I get sponsored? What's a good deal look like? Mm. A bad deal. Mm. The questions like, 
what rules are okay to manipulate. For instance, I'll never forget my first tournament I ever played. There was a very famous female pro player that everyone knows her name. And she would purposely stand on the incorrect side to bait me to serve in the wrong position, right? So that's allowed, that behavior is allowed, but serving within 10 seconds when you're going to be penalized if you don't is not okay. So it feels like there are these rules within rules, this etiquette, these technical intricacies. And what I think both tours need is a new player orientation. Like if you play LPGA, Symmetra, really any other type of professional sporting organization, the new pros receive an orientation packet. They receive seminars. And had I not had the help of people like Arena, Total Class Act, really spending time with me early on, helping me understand these nuances and these intricacies, I'd be as lost as I was day one. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. So are you planning to start a little uh, coming aboard orientation package? I am, all seriousness. And it, oh, nice. Yeah, it really hit me after this scenario when like, you know, these other pro players, you know, who run podcasts and blogs had such eloquent things to say, like, she should have thrown the ball on her shoe to delay play, or I never would have done that, right? Like, gosh, thanks, guys. That was, that was, that was just brilliant, brilliant feedback. But how would anyone know to like, okay, in that scenario, you should throw a ball on your foot and delay play. Okay, I've played in like eight pro tournaments, not years and years of experience. So if my mistakes can be a lesson for a lot of these new pro players, I love it. I love it. And just last week, helped someone find a paddle that someone else had given me to try. She loved it. She's now getting sponsored by the company, helps her work through the deal points. Like that inclusivity, that accessibility, that feeling of helping each other, that's what we need to keep bringing to the sport. So make it more social in the in the business side of things, allow a little more transparency between players and new players to kind of give everyone a, a better chance at a, at a better deal and a leg up when it comes to competing. Well, we want new blood in the sport, right? So Do we though? There's a lot of tall, good-looking guys that are doing a lot of damage and it's making my life much more difficult. Do you not think we should limit, you know, some of those people? Maybe. The good guys from the sport, okay. Well, I mean, they, they could be at best a seven. How about that? And no taller than six foot. I mean, 5'11", maybe 5'10". What, what do we think? Absolutely. Great. So let's get that on the agenda at your first meeting. Can we do that? Absolutely. For you, anything. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. In all seriousness, you know, we talk about this notion that at the pro level, it's becoming boring to watch with the same couple teams in the finals of every single tournament, especially on one of the tours. I'm no data scientist, but it does seem like mm-hmm. 90% of the time there's some pretty similar results. Yeah. And I think that might be feeding into this desire for like a villain or some type of rivalry. Yeah. And I think after 35,000 views of me serving to an empty court, there's this, this desire for some type of some villain or something to talk about. And I wonder what that says, Morgan, about the broader state of the sport. And it's important to remember, pickleball is the perfect metaphor for a startup. There's explosive growth, continuous change, fierce competition on the business side with the dueling tours, a federation under new and exciting leadership. 
startups like Duper trying to take on established rating system. You know, everyone's fighting for their little piece of the growing pie. And, and to me, that's so much more interesting than is, is Jill Braverman a supervillain. Yeah. I, I imagine you never saw the movie uh, Batman 12, Batman Becomes a Library Monitor, because it doesn't exist. Batman needed the Joker. He needed the Penguin to be the hero. So the villains are important. There's no doubt about it. But if the sport has gotten to a stage where it needs one to kind of start a ignite a fire, then yeah, I'd agree it's probably a little bit of an issue. I don't think we're there yet. And I think it's a good thing that there are two tours because you do get to see a whole lot of other players on the podium playing some incredibly high-level pickleball when you, you, know, you do the cross-section between both mm-hmm. tours. A villain, I don't know. Hopefully, we're not going to cast you as a villain just yet. However, you know, you can't spell infamous without famous. Do you think you can, uh, you can still leverage this or are you going to be planning to kind of pivot and become the good girl? <laughs> you know, my background is on the business side of sports coming from universal tennis rating where I was in charge of the commercial department of the company and the revenue generating B2B verticals. You know, I, I left there a couple weeks ago. I say that I'm fun employed. Um, <laughs> and I left there because I want to work in pickleball in a capacity that isn't just tangential to the business. I just love that word. Between that and ubiquitous, I tell you, you, you probably have one of the top three vocabularies ever on this uh, on this podcast. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I hope that's a high bar. Indeed. <laughs> and so that's really what I'm doing in do I want to be a professional pickleball player? Is that my end goal? No, I, I play because I love it. And that's what I think a lot of people have to remember who aren't top ranked players. They're filling draws and, and I'm traveling to tournaments and we're, we're coming and playing because we just love the sport. So what is my end goal? Grow the sport, full stop. I want to grow the game. I want to do that on the business side of the sport and hopefully be known for that versus my professional career and results, or uh, if I served to an empty court or not. That's the legacy that I want to leave. All right. You're going to grow the sport. Now, let's, let's imagine right now someone hands you the keys to the sport. I'm sure you've probably thought about this before. Someone says, all right, you get to, uh, you get to make some changes. We're all, gonna, we're all gonna live in Jill's world. What would you do? I think first and foremost, the sport needs some type of unification. Like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of factions and the sport is in hyper danger of becoming similar to tennis. ATP, WTA, ITF, ITA, USPTA, PTR. It's like acronym soup. It's acronym vomit in tennis. (laughs) Tennis is one of the, the third most bet upon sports in the world. And this is a cautionary tale for pickleball because even though there's all this betting in the sport, all this money in the sport, there's really not a lot of sponsorship dollars in the sport. And it's because advertisers don't really know where to go. There isn't this one true governing body or or this one place for eyeballs because it's a bunch of acronyms fighting and jockeying for position. So when I say we need unification in the sport, I'm not saying, oh, the two tours have to get married and and have a baby. I don't know what the right answer is for the tours. I think having the federation more involved in the tours is a good thing. Having the federation more involved in spearheading 
a unifying rating system so that we can continue to provide level-based play and really good experiences to first-time players in the game. The biggest problem in tennis is it's not level-based. People lose O and O. Less than 30% of matches are anywhere near competitive in tennis. So we have to make sure that we're continuing to deliver that super great first-time experience to players so that they keep coming back. Yeah. And for those listeners out there that don't know exactly your background or were lost in some of the earlier acronyms, you've come from working with the Universal Tennis Rating System, the UTR, yep. uh, which has you know been implemented and used for quite some time now. Compared to the, the rating system in Pickleball, how is there kind of room for improvement? What does the UTR do in a better sense compared to Pickleball? Or is, is it not better? It's much better. I mean, we have a team of data scientists working on the algorithm uh, all day, every day, refining it. And the, the hook in that system is it's the de facto standard for college recruiting. So that is the business and was the business for 10 years until we acquired it three years ago and realized that you can take a rating system and build an entire suite of tools and technologies that make the sport more fun, more accessible, and more affordable. And we literally have grown tennis throughout the whole world. In 72 countries, you can find the rating system being used to find level-based play. And why is that important, Morgan? It's important because 66% of first-time tennis players never pick up another racket. Really? So at all costs, right? Wow. At all costs, we have to avoid. We have to avoid that for pickle. We have to continue to make pickle accessible, affordable, and fun. And the good news is, it's already started that way, mm. right? Where it's tennis, all you need is a ball and a court and a racket, but somehow became so exclusive. Right. You know, tennis for a long time, and I think maybe to a certain extent still has that kind of elitist status, you know, that golf and polo and a few other kind of uh, sports of that caliber had where the gateway you know, wasn't as simple. Pickleball luckily hasn't had that, but it's not to say we can't make it even easier. Correct. And I think that tennis is a cautionary tale for pickleball. And if you look at the numbers, there's 19 million tennis players in the country, 100 million worldwide. I think pickleball is at what, five? Tennis has a 100-year head start. So that's some impressive growth. And if you, if you go ahead and extrapolate that out further, pickleball has some unbelievable potential. It does. Uh, I think everybody will agree that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it hits the world stage in such a, such a high level that you know, it can't help but end up in the Olympics. So let's talk about that, right? So to become a, and you go back to, okay, Jill Braverman, in your world on the business side of things, how would you, how would you fix this? How would you improve the sport? So all this talk about it becoming an Olympic sport, well, that's a pipe dream until you have a certain number of countries recognizing an international governing body. That's pretty hard to do with two warring international governing bodies, mm. the WPF and the IFP. Well, the Federation backs one of those two, but the other one has more traction. So how do we become how, uh, an Olympic sport? How do we grow the sport when you have these factions yeah, who does the IOC listen to? There you go. Another bloody acronym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you feel like right now uh, this competition between all these factions is hurting the sport more than helping? Absolutely. 
Okay. So the flip side to that obviously is the competition, whether it be the APP versus the PPA or the various other uh, dueling parties, the competition between the two is one of the strongest mechanisms to actually make one of them better. Well, both of them better. Um, They will, you know, edge each other on again and again and again in the same way that when you look at Ben Johns and Tyson McGuffin uh, over the last, you know, two or three years, they are the reasons why they both got better. You know, Ben right now is obviously the dominant force, but it wasn't long ago when it was uh, him and Mr. McGuffin basically going toe for toe every single gold medal match, and that made him better. Can that same theory work for the IFP or the WPF? I think on the federation side, these international federations, no. I think from the tours, yes. So it's really interesting to see every time, you know, Connor cooks up something new at the PPA, you know, the next week, I think Ken is is trying to <laughs> even one-up that. And I think they have propelled each other uh, to raise the bar and the quality of the events. And in that instance, I think uh, I think you're correct. The competition inspires higher quality, and then obviously a consumer is happy with that at the end of the day. I think from the federation perspective, I'll equate it to what happened in tennis. The ITF adopted something called World Tennis Number, WTN. And why they would do that when UTR was already the 10-year de facto standard for college recruiting that's hurting the sport. Now you've got these dueling rating systems for really no reason, really zero reason. And so I think in some instances, competition that makes sense, makes sense. Competition that doesn't make sense hurts our sport. Okay. So we just got to figure out if the competition makes sense. There you go. All right. Well, let's put it on the list. You can, uh, we can bring that up at the next players meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm Switzerland in this, right? It's been a really interesting past couple months feeling like a neutral third party coming out of the tennis business and trying to understand these intricacies of pickleball from the business side. And it's fascinating. You know, pickleball is a metaphor for a startup, as we talked about earlier, and I'm excited to see where this all leads. It is. It is one of the more exciting times to be alive in the game of pickleball. And we're all uh, we're all looking forward to seeing what kind of adventures Jill Braverman is going to have again on the courts? What's your next uh, battle? My next battle is in uh, two days. I think that's going to be July 2nd at uh, my hometown in Newport at the uh, National Qualifier. Ooh, and do you want to give a prediction based on the fact that this podcast will come out a few days after that? Yes. So here is my prediction. I will obviously win gold. Do you know why? Why is that? I had an incredible lesson this morning at 8.45 a.m. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, you, you did. And <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I like where your head's at there. Um, well played. Thank you. Uh, yes, for those that have not pieced it together, Morgan was nice enough to get out on a court with me this morning and hit a few balls with me. So no, I'm just kidding. I, who knows? I, I think what's really exciting about pickleball, especially women's singles, is it is feeling like there's a lot of potential for anyone to, to break through. So I take no match for, for granted, and I'm just excited to be able to play the game. Yeah. And you say that. We, we Obviously, we see a lot of great tennis players coming in. You came from playing for Pepperdine. How long ago did you finish playing college tennis? Do you also want to know how much I weigh? No, I don't. You know, I, I'm gonna guess it's. You're asking. You're basically asking a lady her age, Morgan. I finished playing uh, 
a decade ago. Actually, I started at 16. I graduated from Pepperdine at 20. And I played there on scholarship as the least talented tennis player in my family. My oldest sister was a pro, Brandis Braverman. And then my older sister played number one at Pepperdine all four years. So I think I, I duped the coach into thinking he was uh, he was getting someone of a similar okay. caliber of my, uh, my sisters. But instead, he, uh, he got me. Sold him a bill of goods. Nice work. Thanks. <laughs> now, in tennis, were you a uh, predominantly a singles player, a doubles aficionado? What did you prefer? Uh, I played singles and doubles, but I was really a doubles specialist. And to me, pickleball singles feels like doubles tennis. Mm, okay. So you've, uh, you feel like you're a bit of a duck to water. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. I feel like pickleball singles is very comfortable. It feels like playing doubles tennis a little bit, a little bit more like ping pong too. Did you ever see the video of Andy Roddick playing pickleball? No, tell me more. So he obviously notoriously was not a gifted doubles player. I mean, compared to your average person, I'm sure amazing, but he was a singles player for sure. And watching him play pickleball was not pretty. So it looks like there's such a huge advantage for tennis players, but I think a lot of people don't realize it's kind of a bit more exclusive towards the players that really enjoyed and excelled at doubles. I've seen so many fantastic singles tennis players come to pickleball and after about 20 minutes of an hour lesson, they're either cramping or uh, unable to continue because the, the kind of positions required to be a, a, a high-level volleyer and therefore hold yourself well up at the kitchen line are just kind of foreign. Did it take a little bit of time for your body to adapt to you know, how to move around the kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. I'll never forget the first time I played with people who actually knew what they were doing. And they said to me, you know, you could be okay at this sport if you stop playing tennis on the court. <laughs> And I said, all right, well, how should I play? And they said, swing at your volleys. And I said, I will never swing at a volley. I close my volleys, right? And that's exactly what it is. You're constantly swinging, swinging up, trying to create lift on the wiffle ball. And then I think in my first tournament ever, I was about to quit. Uh, I lost to a woman. She might've been in her late fifties or early sixties. And I remember being so angry at myself, you know, thinking, how could I, how could I lose to someone who's that much older than me? And I'm a better tennis player and that whole tennis ego just, you know, weasels its way. You can't get rid of it. And I hadn't realized yet, you know, the art of dinking and how it's a game within a game. And I think when that clicked, you're able to set aside your tennis ego and say, okay, this is really like playing chess on the pickleball court. It's not bang, bang. You're, you're playing chess when you're up at the kitchen line. And then all of a sudden it becomes way more interesting. So you actually, uh, have you learned to enjoy the art of dinking, as you say? I have, but I still suck at chess and I think I still suck at dinking. So uh, maybe I should play more chess and that'll help. You should. Well, Jill Braverman, this has been an adventure. There's no doubt about it. There's no other way to describe it. We're going to have to do it again sometime. Anytime. Thank you, sweetie. We will see you on the court, all, uh, all the players out there. So beyond the, the upcoming Newport tournament, uh, what's next for you? Because all your fans will be... I'm sure looking for something they can actually get a hold of after Newport. What have you got? So what's next on my schedule? Yeah, the, the July 2nd event and then uh, Takea August 6th through the 8th. And then August 21st, I'm actually having a second wedding slash celebration, which is pretty cool to have two weddings, but to the same person, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, that's going to be in Aspen, Colorado. So there might be a trip for the uh, Rocky Mountain Open the week before that on the, the 13th. And after that, uh, who knows? 
beautiful. And nationals, you've got nationals. Oh, and I found out I actually have a, a golden ticket for that thing. So, you know, we don't have to go through the whole you know, show and dance of qualifying and whatnot. That is music to my ears. I cannot wait. Beautiful. And on that note, uh, hopefully I was you know, hoping that um, Kristen would come in with a closing ballad of some kind. Is she, is she prepared for that? <laughs> she is not prepared for that and she's out of the ear now. But I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll let her submit a little piece later. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> All right, sweetie, we're going to love you and leave you. Take care of yourself. We will see you on the court shortly. Congratulations on your recent win and your the first of two weddings to the same person. Uh, couldn't be happier for you. Thank you, Morgan. Take care. This podcast was powered by Selkirk. This podcast is also brought to you by the next generation of Selkirk Paddle, the Vanguard. Well, there you go. You don't know till you know. And now we know Jill. As always, I'm Morgan Evans, and this has been More or Less Pickleball. It's hard not to like puppies. Puppies are great.